Hey y'all, welcome to class. This is White Homer, a podcast about race, racism, and restorative justice. I am Tori Williams-Douglas. I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, um, educator, and the creator of White Homer, which is a little curriculum I put together for folks who want to learn how to get less racist. Today, I want to talk about protest and like the moral framework for protest and I'm very excited about this, mostly because I'm a nerd. I think it is really important to understand when we're talking about situations like when protests lead to property damage and, and destruction or even people dying. I think that it's really important to kind of dissect this from a like a moral ethical framework. The whole trucker convoy, which obviously was going to come up, has been a little awkward because apparently protests are bad unless they are doing it. They in this case, being people who hold to conservative ideology and tenets around the status quo, people who materially benefit from injustice, whatever that looks like. So that's not necessarily even a right thing. And people who are materially harmed by conservative policies, but support them anyway, because they feel that that is in alignment with their identity as a human being, which here's the thing. I support what Andre Henry calls militant nonviolent action in that I think it is very important to be able to have a voice, even if I take issue with your cause. Of course, I think there is a difference in the amount of harm, the degree of harm when we're talking about like state sanctioned roadside executions and like getting a vaccine during your annual physical, but you know, they don't see it that way. They don't believe in collective responsibility, which makes sense when you factor in how obsessed this country is with hyper-individualism. And that is clearly bled out into our Northern neighbors to some extent. Turns out if you tell people that they are their own little sovereign islands for centuries, having them get on board for collective good is going to be met with opposition on principle. Here are these people, they're trying to protest. I do not frame our causes as similar. I am, however, deeply entertained by the fact that folks on the right are like, oh my God, I can't believe that Justin Trudeau is calling these people terrorists or treating them like they're terrorists. That's exactly what they said about Black Lives Matter and anti-fascists is they're terrorists. Defund them because we get government funding, you guys. I reject the assertion that a vaccine and centuries of an enforced caste system are somehow similar on any level, morally, ethically, financially, physically, not the same. And I have receipts on this. So I guess I win. Facts don't care about your feelings. This is an existential threat to them because they reject collective good as an actual positive. It's an existential threat to their identity and a threat to their physical safety, right? Like that's, it's a bad thing. Like this is a wake up sheeple kind of issue. They're having a nervous system response to a perceived injustice. And I think it takes nothing from my cause to acknowledge that their nervous systems believe that collective good is individual harm. Like it's kind of hard to explain how a vaccine causes more harm than like 300 million people being unable to access affordable health care. As a quick aside, I got to be honest, uh, using trucks to shut down the road, f***ing genius. I'm actually going to give them that. That is aspirational all the way here for that business. Going to try to put some of that in place myself. But seriously, I believe that the amount of harm is quite different and they don't believe that. 
for a few reasons. One, they believe that the law is a moral good, even if it is applied unjustly, inconsistently, and in ways that harm people of their class status. And they believe that material harm and physical harm don't really count because it was worse in the past. They don't believe in societal obligations or societal responsibility, even when there are systemic societal benefits that white people are still profiting off of materially from Jim Crow and slavery. And like, again, I try to be really consistent in my ethical framework. Like this country was founded on violent protest, including a whole ass war fought over several years by what was functionally a guerrilla army. As I understand it, that is different from protesting for social justice because God said that their cause was just and ours is not. As I am to understand it, a T-tax on whites with disposable income is worse than several centuries of race-based chattel slavery. We are allowed to fight a whole war because we don't like our taxes. And y'all can't even shut down the interstate despite the fact that centuries of harm were done, despite the fact that centuries of harm were committed with absolutely no redress. I kind of love the American Revolution. I think all these motherfuckers were dumb. I think that we would have been objectively better off under English control because they got rid of slavery way sooner than we did. Uh, but man, like talk about some lucky breaks and some incredibly dumb Englishmen. I hope it's clear that I have no intention of glorifying war here. I think people were coerced into the Continental Army unjustly. I don't think it's incredibly valiant that said army walked across the snow and ice in their bare feet, leaving blood in the snow, as was recorded by whoever had shoes, I guess. I don't think it's great that they clearly didn't know how to handle literal shit and people died of cholera for no reason other than the toilet was too close to the drinking water. But like talk about a myth, like myths include supernatural events. And honestly, the number of time that this ragtag volunteer army won where they, by all counts, should have lost, feels supernatural. It is disproportionate. Like cognitively, I understand it was luck, but in terms of creating a national narrative and like social cohesion, it's hard to beat. So they consider the tea and millionaires who cry into the tea about their taxes because, you know, King George doesn't even pay attention to us. That's a just cause for war. And I think that that is a valid argument that could be made potentially a little if you weren't also actively saying that race-based chattel slavery and Jim Crow shouldn't be addressed because Jesus, I, Reagan, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Like, no, it wasn't. It is not our fault that white people in general and white politicians in particular stonewall us on racial issues until something is on fire. That is y'all's responsibility. We have nothing to do with that. Okay, so like ticking through the list of options that are legal. When we vote, y'all close polling stations. When we organize, y'all hire a bunch of goons with law degrees. When we write letters and emails, y'all ignore them. When we call, you don't respond, you don't answer. When we show up at your office, you literally have us arrested. So we make noise in front of your homes and we yell at you at the restaurant. Oh my God, your poor children. I'm like, we list your sin in lights on buildings on your home and nothing. Things get worse. Human nervous systems are truly incredible and in that they allow us to be as humans, extremely patient, right? And 
somehow, even with full knowledge of like the fact that y'all don't give a flying f- about us to put up with centuries of terrorism and Nazism and fascism and fighting y'all's little wars that you can't stop starting. And like, listen, no one is asking for revenge. Do not Louis Farrakhan me. I have more followers on Twitter than that man has in all of his mosques combined, right? Like militant black nationalism causes violence on occasion. White nationalism causes violence in this country every day. That is not an exaggeration. You can go look at the data. There is this complete double standard for what qualifies as valid for protest and what does not. The number of white conservatives uh, that I saw on Twitter in 2020 saying, John Lewis used to be one of the good ones, but he became an evil racist was kind of remarkable, right? Like if you read his life story, the only thing he did was survive. The only thing he did was not get assassinated He chose not to submit sufficiently to white respectability politics. And they didn't like that. Y'all don't like us until you've killed us. And then you, for some reason, decide to use our legacy to argue that Martin Luther King said that you can't judge me by the color of my skin, but by the content of my character. Please. One of the fundamental problems that I see here and that my friend Amber pointed out actually earlier today was punishment is not justice. If punishment doesn't make you angry, there's something going on in your nervous system. Big responses in your body to serious harm is literally how our bodies evolved to protect us. The person who made the biggest fuss and put up the biggest fight was also the person who got to procreate. Anger at injustice is a biologically normal nervous system response, right? If injustice doesn't make you angry, that is a bad thing. I've read some very interesting accounts of of enslaved people um, when they would just snap, right? Like they would just break, they would lose it. They would just, they would lose their minds. They would start screaming, throwing things, setting things on fire, breaking everything that they could. And here's the thing about someone who was born in slavery, right? Like you've never known anything but stress, trauma, and dehumanization, right? From before you were born, we know that maternal trauma in childhood changes gene expression in offspring 20, 30 years later, right? Like your mother is constantly under severe stress from before you're born. And then you're born and your mama's breast milk is full of stress hormones, I really sincerely wonder if these babies just cried all the time, all day long. And the reason that I think of that is because of a story that um, Dr. Gaber Mate put in his book. I think it's scattered where he talks about the mothers in Poland being put into ghettos. And at one point, like one day, all the babies just started crying Um, and a doctor comes in and you know, starts talking to this one particular family. And he just says, all of the babies are crying today. We're talking about layers and layers of trauma. Meanwhile, politicians are asking us to just like sit around calmly while you actively make our lives worse and materially benefit from it. Okay. Like we shall overcome is a physiological proclamation. It is a testament to the unmitigated, unrivaled self-restraint of black people. And again, we're not even coming after you for revenge. We just want our kids to go to schools that get funded. Like somehow that takes away from your superiority. If our kids get to go to schools that are well-maintained and have good teachers, the point of protest 
is to inconvenience the masses and to terrify the government. When something is unjust, the moral ethical thing to do is protest it. And here's the thing, like we're fighting for your liberation. Also, we are fighting for your healthcare and your housing and your education and your social safety net. Like white people benefit too, but they'll actively oppose anything that they have to share because there's this hyper individualist mindset that if someone else gets some, I get less. Like there's a limit on how much healthcare can be provided in this country. That is absolutely untrue, right? Like for you, cops murdering people is fine protest is the appropriate response to injustice. During and after the protests over George Floyd's murder, as support for Black Lives Matter kind of surged and then dwindled, I got to have a lot of conversations with white moderates who agreed that police accountability was a good thing in a perfect world or whatever, but they couldn't support Black Lives Matter, the movement or the organization and couldn't support the protests and ultimately decided that police were the real victims here. I distinctly remember one interaction with a white conservative on Twitter who acknowledged that the police had a problem with accountability even and acknowledged that cops murdering people in the street over $20 bills is a bad thing, but protests were just like a bridge too far for him. And so he couldn't support anymore. I told him, you know, the protests are actually a separate issue from the system of policing, which is causing harm systemically, right? You are an intelligent person. He agreed that he knew there was a difference, but the property destruction was his excuse for supporting the police, despite the injustice that they bring down on our communities every day. Interestingly, the cops get the bad apple narrative to protect them from moral liability, but the people who use that some bad apples argument dismiss all of the protests because some of the protesters were violent. So clearly this is a double standard that works in favor of people with power. I can't accept what you're saying because you're too emotional when you're saying it is not a valid reason to support the status quo. We literally evolved to become emotional when we were near or experiencing harm. There's nothing excessive about it in order to, you know, stop the harm from occurring. Emotional reactions are just a normal biological response. Frequently, however, powerful people use upset as an excuse to not listen to oppressed people or people who are being harmed by their policies. This working assumption here flattens the power dynamic. The person with power and the people who are being marginalized are not equals. Demanding that marginalized people maintain their cool is just colonizer manipulation. People with power are inherently protected by their privilege. Of course, the person who benefits from injustice being caused is not going to have a similar nervous system response to the person who is the target of that harm. It's an irrational demand that allows those who benefit from harmful policies to avoid responsibility completely. Of course, there's an entire level of respectability politics at play here when it comes to Black people and anger. Any disagreement that we have in a mixed race context can be weaponized against us. This is very frequently the case because white people are taught via cultural osmosis that black people are only ever angry, super strong, or dangerous. Culture portrays us as constantly irrational for being angry at injustice. Culture portrays us as constantly irrational for being angry at injustice, meaning non-black people have an operative narrative that they read into anything that we say in any context. Again, this is a way to completely disregard our concerns or experiences. That's literally why this 
double standard and coding was created. And you can see it bleed out into interactions between like parents and children and bosses and employees and doctors and patients. Anywhere there is a power disparity, you will see this abusive framing being applied to people who are mostly just trying to survive. So your right homework this week, and you should go look for it, is noticing this, noticing this dynamic playing out either in interracial spaces or in spaces where structures benefit a few select people at the expense of the larger group. The thing is, when you start looking for it, you'll begin to notice it. And we can't fix things that we can't see. So if you would like, I would love for you to join Pay the Rent Club. We are paying the rent for a family of color for a year. This is year two that we've been able to do this. It's super exciting. It's just whitehomework.com. That's also my Patreon. So, you know, if you don't have 30 bucks a month to toss in, like five or 10 or 20 is also fine. Whatever works for you. Also, stars are free. So throwing some stars up and leaving reviews, perfectly great, perfectly rad. Just as important, frankly, truly, like Patreon is the reason that I'm able to do this show at all. I'm very, very grateful. There are a lot of very generous people in this little internet community. You can follow me on Twitter at White Homer or at Tori Glass. And if you want me to speak at your event or help you create an anti-racism training for your organization or church, like you can just hit me up at ToriGlass.com. There's a contact page and we can come up with something really awesome together. If you are a patron, make sure that you go and you watch the little White Homework video that came out because I really liked it. <laughs> okay, that's such a random thing to say. Sweet. I will catch y'all next week.